The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Many of you in this room um, are too young to remember this incident, but 30 years ago this month, so this, mar- this year, excuse me, this year marks the 30th anniversary um, of Rodney King. Um, Rodney King was a black man who was driving, who was speeding, driving under the influence of alcohol in Los Angeles. He was pulled over by police after he had tried to, by his own admission, he had tried to outrun them in a high-speed chase. He finally gets pulled over, and um, after he gets pulled over and out of the car, he was further accused of trying to resist arrest. Um, what happened, or what followed on that fateful March 9th, can only be described as horrific as a nearby resident happened to have his uh, camcorder uh, with him. For those of you too young, you just ask your parents what a camcorder is. Uh, you do that, everything on the phone nowadays. But uh, he had his camcorder with him, and he took a video of uh, four white police officers beating uh, Mr. King. Um, the video was turned in, uh, was, was given to a news um, outlet, and it became an immediate media sensation. I mean, if you're old enough to remember, you know it was on the news 24-7. It was on the news all the time. Those four officers were subsequently arrested and charged with excessive use of force, and a year later they were taken to trial. But all of them, after the trial, were ultimately acquitted by the jury. And their acquittal um, caused Los Angeles to explode in riots. If you're old enough to remember, you know what I'm talking about. The, the riots, it wasn't just like a one-day thing. It la- they lasted for six days, from the end of April to the beginning of May. Nearly 2,400 people were injured. More than 60 people were killed. Over 12,000 people were arrested. Property damage was estimated over $1 billion. Ultimately, military troops had to be brought in just to restore order in the city. Now, I bring all that up because of this incident, though. In what has since become an iconic video, Mr. King, with tears in his eyes toward, toward the middle of the riot, it was, it was on May 1st, 1992, he, he took to the cameras, to the news agencies, and had a press conference, and he spoke to the rioters and said, quote, people, I just want to say, can't we all get along? Can't we all... Get along. Those five words, can't we all get along? That's a question that still to this day stirs the soul because we live in a broken world. We have individual sin, we have societal sin, but sin has devastated the world in which we live and our world is full of chaos. And this brokenness and this chaos, it, it's, it's not a recent event. It's, it's not something that's only recently come up because of uh, camcorders and social media. Although I will say social media typically doesn't do anything to help the chaos. It usually just adds to the chaos. 
But in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our chaos, there's, there's still something inside each one of us that cries out, can't we all just get along? We have this inward drive that we want peace. We want harmony. But we live in a world that's full of brokenness and chaos. And so where do we find harmony in the world? Well, that's the subject of our message today. So if you're in Romans 15, say amen. amen. All right, you can do better than that. Come on. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, thank you very much. That's much better. All right, verses 1 through 7 of Romans 15. Uh, follow along with me, please. Paul writes, and says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we know that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would use this time to mold us and to shape us. Help us, Father, to be a people who strive to live in harmony with one another. And so use this time, use your word, that your spirit might accompany your word so that we might be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so our central idea for today is that we've been called to live in harmony with one another. We've been called to live in harmony with one another. This is, this is for all Christians to one another that we've been called to live in harmony with one another, but specifically within the household of God. So spe- specifically within the local church, we've been called to live in harmony with one another. I have four points I want to make from our text. Point number one is the strong have an obligation toward the weak. The strong have an obligation toward the weak. Every time I read this verse, I can't get past the seventh word in the sentence. Which is kind of funny, actually, because it's actually the first word in the Greek text. Um, now, some of you are doing the counting right now, and you're getting to that seventh word. I'm, I'm talking about the word obligation. It's the first word in the original Greek text because Paul is trying to emphasize that word. He it, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know, Paul is speaking Yoda here. He's saying, you know, obligation have we, is what, he, is what he's saying. And he's starting off that way. So this, this, this word, the verb to be obligated, is written here, and it's written for us in the present tense, which Paul tells us then that that means this, is this type of ongoing action. It's, it's not something that we do once and we say, okay, check that box, I've, I've done my obligation and now I can move on with life. But this is something rather that we're to be doing all of the time. Other English translations, if you're reading from something different, um, uses the language of 
oughtness. That this is what we ought to do. Which is a fine way of translating, but the original Greek word here it means that this is something that we owe to somebody else. It's meant to be used in the sense that we're under obligation to another person. Our third child, um, Matthew, is about to get his driver's license. So my wife and I, we want to provide a vehicle for him, and, and we are trying to decide what to do, and we decided that we're going to let him use my old car, and I'm going to get myself a new vehicle. So I bought a pickup truck a couple of weeks ago, um, not, not brand new, but new to me, pickup truck. Um, so I don't have that kind of cashless laying around where I can just go and just pull out my wallet and do it, and so I had to take a loan for the truck, but in taking that loan for the truck, I have obligated myself to make payments for the truck. If, if I don't make the payments, they're going to come and they're going to take the truck back from me. They'll repossess it. And so by signing my name to that, those loan documents, I've obligated myself to make those payments. Now, similarly, as Christians, particularly those who are stronger Christians, those who are stronger in the faith, by virtue of our strength in the faith, we have obligated ourselves now to weaker Christians. And specifically, look, look with me there in the text at verse 1, please. Stronger Christians have obligated themselves, quote, to bear with the failings of the weak. You'll recall in Romans 14 over the past couple of weeks that weaker Christians had difficulty eating anything other than vegetables. I mean, meat was off the menu. They, they were never going to eat meat. For the weaker Christians, it was a matter of their conscience. They, they didn't feel as if they could eat meat. They felt that eating only vegetables was more pleasing to God. The stronger Christians, on the other hand, didn't feel the same way. The stronger Christians, they felt that they could eat whatever they wanted to eat, and they didn't have a problem with eating meats. But notice again what Paul is saying in verse 1. The stronger Christians are under an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And then please notice this, and not to please ourselves. So here's how that might play out in a fictional example. The stronger Christian is thinking to himself, you know, boy, oh boy, I could sure sink my teeth into a medium rare steak right now. Mm, I just want a steak right now. But I'm with Bob at the moment, and Bob is weaker in the faith, and Bob thinks it's wrong for Christians to eat meat. And so instead of pleasing myself with that steak, I'm going to have a spinach lasagna instead. All right? Now, maybe you've never had a squabble with somebody about the rightness or wrongness of eating meats. Fair enough. I would bet that most of us probably haven't been in that situation. But here's an area that I promise you, if you haven't dealt with it already, you're going to deal with it. Consider maybe we have one church member. So uh, Brian mentioned a few moments ago that he and I both had our COVID shots. But so imagine you have one church member who's gung-ho about the COVID-19 vaccination. I mean, he thinks everybody should do it. In fact, he's so so gung-ho about the shot that he believes that you're actually sinning against your neighbor if you don't get the shot. Now, on the other hand, you have another church member who for perhaps ethical reasons or efficacy reasons doesn't believe that Christians should take the shot. The second church member maybe even believes that it's sinful to take the shot. And so how are these two church members going to get along? Well, we we start 
we start by recognizing that it's, it's a matter of opinion. In other, in other words, we can, we can muster up good arguments on both sides of that debate. We can, we can certainly do that about why we should take it or why we shouldn't take it. That, that can be done. But what I can't do, what you can't do, is we can't point to a chapter and a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt take the shot or thou shalt not take the shot. It, it's not in there. Vaccines, shots are not in the Bible, positively or negatively. It's just not there. So ultimately, it's a matter of the Christian conscience and ultimately a matter of opinion. And Paul tells us in Romans 14:1 that we're not to argue or quarrel over opinions. So we don't quarrel about taking the shot or not taking the shot. And so we, so we don't think that those who take the shot are somehow superior or inferior from the ones who do take the shot. Or those who don't take the shot. And, and vice versa, those who don't take the shot, we don't think that they're inferior or superior to those who do take the shot. And so as a church, we don't, we don't make a statement saying uh, to, to bind one another's conscience about whether or not we should take the shot. Rather, we do what? We bear with one another. Same argument, by the way, could be made about the masks that we wear when we're sitting out there. And I wear my mask when I'm sitting out there as well. We're going to bear with one another. We're not here to please ourselves. Rather, according to verse 2, we're called to please our neighbor for our neighbor's good so that we can build our neighbor up. That's what Paul is saying there in verse 2. Now please notice the focus of that verse. The context here is clearly how the stronger person relates to the weaker person. The stronger is to please his weaker neighbor for the weaker neighbor's own good. The stronger is not called just to please the weaker neighbor, but he's called to please him for his own good. And so let, me, let me explain that difference. So think of a parent-child relationship. Now, parent-child relationship, they're not you know, exactly equal to you know, weak, stronger, weaker, but there, there are some similarities. So suppose in a parent-child relationship, the parent thinks, well, I just want to, I want to make sure I please my child. And they leave off the last part for their own good. And so your children might say, Dad, I want ice cream for dinner tonight. And so to please your child, you say, well, last night we had Rocky Road, and so tonight it's going to be Fudge Swirl, and tomorrow it's going to be, heaven knows what it's going to be tomorrow. Now, your kid, that's, I probably, that's going to please your children, right? They're going to love, they're going to think, my dad is the best. Look at, look at what he's giving me every night. But it's not for their good, is it? Likewise, <laughs> got an amen over here. Uh, likewise, the stronger brothers and sisters, we are called to please the weaker brothers, or rather, we're not called to please them by giving them whatever they want. Rather, we're called to please them by showing them ultimately this is what's best for you. This is what's for your good. This is what's ultimately going to build you up. This is what's going to make your faith stronger. You see, ice cream for dinner every night is going to build you up. All right? This way. But not, so not in the way that you want to be built up. So the strong, we have an obligation toward the weak. That's point number one. Point number two, we've been given examples to follow. And so we've been called... Here, the text, very clearly, we've been called to live in harmony with one another. The strong have an obligation toward the weak. But how are we to do that? 
How are we going to live in harmony with one another? So I was thinking about that. I thought this week, I, I like YouTube. Um, I don't know how, how you feel about YouTube. Um, not so much the humorous videos, although those are, that's fun to watch some humorous videos, but that's not really why I like YouTube. I like YouTube because I can watch a 15-minute video about how to change the motor mount on my vehicle, and after watching that video, I go, okay, I got all those tools. I can, I can do that now. And more often than not, I just maybe watch the video a couple other times, and I can go out and I can do what that video showed me how to do. YouTube gives me an example of what to do, of how to follow. But, but YouTube we have to, it has its limits, right? It's, it's not good for everything. If I, if I want to learn how to bear with the failings of the weak, which is what Paul talks about in the first part of the chapter, YouTube is not going to help me out there that much. But there are other examples I can turn to. And by God's grace, Paul gives us two examples right here. The first example is Jesus himself. Look with me there at verse 3. Paul tells us in verse 3, he says, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So in verse 1 of this text, we're told not to please ourselves, rather we're to please our weaker brother or sister. Now in verse 3, we're given an example saying Jesus himself didn't please himself. Rather, he allowed the reproaches that were intended for others to fall on himself. Now Paul is quoting from Psalm 69 as he says that. It's the psalm that Ginger read uh, for us earlier in the service. That psalm, Psalm 69, it's it's one of the most widely quoted uh, Old Testament passages in the New Testament. It's quoted in all four Gospels, it's quoted in Acts, and obviously it's quoted here again in Romans. But when it's quoted in the Gospels, without exception, it's always quoted in the context of Jesus' passion, that is, of His crucifixion. It's always quoted in the context of His crucifixion. In Psalm 69, it says this, in verse 9, it says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, when that psalm is used in conjunction with the crucifixion, the meaning actually is rather clear for us. Jesus didn't choose what would please Him. And we know from the Gospels that He he prayed, Lord, if possible, allow this cup to pass from Me. He prayed that He wouldn't have to do the crucifixion, but He said, nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. But when Jesus was on the cross taking the punishment that we owe, Jesus was willing to suffer death for our good. He took our reproaches on Himself. That's the example that we've been called to follow. So, maybe you think, you know, my my weaker brother or sister, they're, they're interfering with me living my life the way I want to live. Well, really? I'm I'm so sorry to I'm so sorry to hear that. What a, what a shame. But but Hebrews chapter 12 verse 4 tells us it says that in our struggle against sin we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our own blood. The, the, the point in Hebrews 12 is the reminder that Jesus did suffer to that point. Jesus did he suffered to the point of shedding his own blood. And so it might be difficult for us to bear with our brothers and sisters. It might be difficult to bear with their failings. And, and honestly, it can, it can be. So it's not just a might be, it can be difficult, right? And so we might want to say, you know, I'm tired of bearing with their difficulties. I'm tired, tired of bearing with their failings. 
I just want to please myself for once. I just want to do what I want to do. But when we're tempted to want to please ourselves, Paul's telling us when we're tempted to, to want to ignore our brothers and sisters, our weaker brothers and sisters, that's when we need to remember the example of Jesus. That Jesus took our reproaches on Himself. Jesus didn't please Himself, but He went to the cross, not for His good, but for our good. And Jesus told us that if we want to follow after Him, we too, we need to take up our cross every day. We need to deny ourselves every day, take up our cross and follow Him. Not, not to please ourselves, but so that we can please others, so we can serve others by pleasing Him. So Jesus has given us this example. That's verse 3. That's the first example. Jesus is the first example. But Paul mentions a second example. Look with me there in verse 4. In verse 4, Paul writes, he says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And so what's the second example? This. This book. This is the second example. The Scriptures are our second example. And specifically, as Paul is writing, Paul is talking about the Old Testament portion of this book is our second example. Paul points out to us, quote, what was written in former days. The New Testament wasn't even written when Paul was writing this. It wasn't completed. It wasn't even halfway done. And Paul is saying that which was written in former days, notice this, quote, was written for our instruction. Now, I would argue that the New Testament is also written for our instruction, but when Paul is writing this, he's referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to the for the, to the Holy Scriptures in the Old Testament, that they were written for our instruction, so that, verse 4, he says, through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Notice those two words, endurance and encouragement. What, what does he mean by endurance? As I thought about that this week, it became more and more obvious, I think, what, what he means by that. And if, you, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you, you know that the Old Testament is the story of God working over, uh, among His people over the course of a period, not, not over a few years, but it's the story of God working among His people over the course of centuries. Centuries, friends. But human beings, you know, we're, we're normally very short-sighted people. I mean, you probably heard on the news this week that the COVID pandemic is officially now one year old. But, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like to me like it's been going on for dozens of years. I mean, it's, it's the way it feels because we're really, we're such short-sighted people. But here's where the, here's where the endurance comes in. You know, when we can look back and we can examine God's faithfulness, not over the last few days or the last few weeks, not, not even over the last few months, not, not even over the last few years, but when we can look at God's faithfulness and see the course of His faithfulness over centuries, that provides us with endurance. We see that God is always faithful. Now, His faithfulness may or may not be measured on our timetable, but He is always faithful. 
And so we endure, knowing that even now he's going to be faithful. But Paul also tells us that there's encouragement. What does he mean there? What does he mean by encouragement? Well, again, as I was thinking about that, I thought about, you know, when, when I get to the end of myself, when I don't think I can make it another day, and, and yes, I have those days, okay? I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only one in the room who has those days where I'm just like at the end of myself, and I'm just like, I just can't, I can't do this another day. But when I'm at the end of myself, I might look to, for example, the prophet Elijah, and I see how God sustained Elijah, and I'm encouraged. Or when I'm facing persecution, I might look to examples like Daniel or Esther or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And and as I look at their examples, I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm encouraged in my own time. That through their examples, I'm encouraged. And through their encouragement, I know I have hope. And this is a hope that doesn't disappoint do you, do you remember that passage? And we've been preaching here through Romans for, for some time now, but, but way back in chapter 5 of Romans, verses 2 through 4, says this. And we have, or excuse me, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, yes, friends, it's exactly when it's hard to live in harmony with one another that the striving to live in harmony with one another actually impacts our souls. It's in that hard moment where I, just, I can't go through this. I can't do this anymore. That God is at work in us shaping us and molding us more and more into the image of Christ. And so we've been given examples to follow, both in Jesus as well as in the Scriptures. Point number three. Genuine harmony cannot be achieved without God's help. The more I thought about that this week, I figured this is where the difficulty often happens. Because, you know, we believe that we can do whatever God tells us to do. And in one sense, that's true. We, we can do whatever God tells us to do. But in another, more important sense, we can't do what God tells us to do. And, and here's what I mean by that. God will never ask us to do something that's impossible for us to do. But He will often ask us to do something that's impossible for us in our own strength to do. God tells us to live in harmony with one another. And we think, you know, I got this. I can do this. And then we're confronted with that weaker church member and we see their failings. And we have what amounts to a meltdown and we lose our Christian witness. Now, don't tell me I'm the only one in the room that's happened to, okay? And so what we need to do, according to Paul, what we need to do is we need to take it to the Lord in prayer. You know, it's like that, that, that old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I'm not, not going to sing it for you, but What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear, What a Privilege to Carry Everything to God in Prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything 
to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Every stanza in that song ends with that beautiful refrain or some version of that refrain, take it to the Lord in prayer. Now, why, why do I mention that hymn right now? I mention it because that's exactly what Paul's doing here in Romans 15. That's what Paul's doing. If you look, look with me at verses 5 and 6, it's a prayer. Paul is, Paul is taking this to the Lord in prayer. Verses 5 and 6, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a prayer. And and notice how Paul is bringing that idea of endurance and encouragement. He's he's tying it in from verse 4 into verse 5. That in verse 5, our God is, He is the God of endurance and encouragement. But notice this. It's this God. This God who is the God of endurance and encouragement. It's Him who grants to us to live in harmony with one another. It's not something that we muster up in our own strength. If, if you don't know this already, let me share something. We are feeble. We are weak. And when we try to live in harmony with one another in our own strength, we are going to hit the ground every time. And so this is why we rely on the Lord. We take it to the Lord in prayer because He grants us to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And here's the result. This is so important. Here's the result of living in harmony with one another. Verse 6, that together we might with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul, he's speaking here to the local church. This, this isn't appeal to the, to the universal church. We, you know, we, we don't need to turn here and say, this is why all denominations are. That's not what he's, he's addressing the local church. And he's, Paul is encouraging the local church to with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something special, there's something spiritual that happens when a congregation has one unified voice. I don't know if you've ever been to a congregation where there have been diverse factions within the congregation. I just want you to know when that happens, that's, that's the death nail of a church. When as Paul says in Corinthians, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. I, you know, that's the death nail. When, when church members are more concerned about their own agenda rather than having harmony in the church, that church will lose its gospel witness. And so, beloved, do you have your own agenda here at PHBC? Let me encourage you to take it to the Lord in prayer. We're, we're called to strive for harmony with one another in the church. That's point three. Point number four. A little Latin exercise for you. Sola Deo Gloria. It's Latin for glory 
to God alone. It's one of the five solas of the Reformation, the others being sola scriptura, scripture alone, sola fide, by faith alone, sola gratia, by grace alone, and sola Christus, uh, by Christ alone. Um, I've taken that title from verse 7, um, how verse 7 end, ends, for the glory of God. Uh, just, just a quick aside, by the way, some of you might be reading from a Bible translation uh, where verse 7 is in the next paragraph. Um, when, when these New Testaments were, uh, letters were written, uh, they weren't written with uh, sentences, they weren't written with paragraphs, uh, there are no verse marks. There were no chapter marks in these. For they were they were literally written one word, one word. Excuse me, one letter after another after another. I mean, not even spaces between the words. And the reason they did that is because the the the, the paper, if you will, that they were writing on was very very expensive. And so to save room, they would write just one letter after another letter, and just like in long columns, they would have. Um, now I, I mentioned all that. Because, again, you, you might be thinking, well, why are, you, why are you including verse 7? That's in my next paragraph. And um, the, those differences um, are from, from the translators of whatever translation you're, you're reading from. Uh, it has zero impact on the actual meaning of the text. The text means what it means, okay? But where, where we put our paragraph breaks in is something that happened long, long after Paul wrote this letter. I put it here because in the ESV that I preach from, verse 7 is part of uh, a paragraph that includes verses 1 through 7. All of that said, now, verse 7. Paul says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcoming one another here is a word of command. It's a command given to both the strong and the weak. Both the strong and the weak were to welcome one another. And the idea of welcoming one another in this sense would be to welcome one another into one another's homes or into one another's presence. You see, if we, if we only spend an hour, an hour and a half with each other once a week, then it's pretty easy to tolerate one another if all you're seeing one another is just a very brief time on Sunday mornings. It's easy to put up with one another's failings. But Paul here is admonishing us to go well beyond this. He's commanding us here to welcome one another into one another's presence. He's telling us, in other words, that we should spend time together. Uh, many people, I might even say most of us, live in what sociolo sociologists call echo chambers. Now you might be wondering what an echo chamber is. Um, an echo chamber is a place where you don't hear any new ideas. You just hear your own ideas parroted back to you. Kind of like when you echo, you hear your voice back. That, that, that's where we live. A famous example of an echo chamber. In, um, in 1972, Richard Nixon won the presidential election in an absolute landslide. He had, so do, he had 520 electoral votes. His challenger had only 17. Okay? It's an absolute, just monstrous landslide. But after the election, one liberal uh, film critic famously said, I can't believe that Nixon won... I don't know anybody who voted for him. She was living in an echo chamber, right? Now, in our own day, social media, for example, is really good at creating echo chambers because we friend or we like or we follow people that we like, people that are going to say the same thing. Oh, I like this. I like what they have to say. And so we follow them and we get in this. They're, they're going to tell us the same things I want to hear. Or if you like watching cable news, 
depending on whatever your political inclination might be, uh, you might watch Fox News or you might watch MSNBC, for example. Um, and you tune in only to that channel, and as you watch that channel, you become more and more convinced that your position is right, because after all, that's what they're telling you on the TV, that you're right. But you forget you're only listening to one side of the argument. You're in an echo chamber. Well, an echo chamber is not only a dangerous place to be in the world, it's a, it's a dangerous place for the church as well. And so Paul tells us here that we're to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. The strong are to welcome the weak, and the weak are to welcome the strong. That, and as we spend time together, we, we hear one another out, and we say, ah, you know, you, you, have we ever thought that maybe that person in this congregation that makes you a little bristle, maybe that person actually has a good point or two. You might not agree. You might buy everything that they say hook, line, and sinker, but you might think, you know what? That person has a good point. Maybe I could learn something from that individual. And maybe, just maybe, maybe even God might use that person to make me more like Jesus. And as God is doing that, so we welcome one another. And we do this, ultimately, Paul says there at the end of verse 7, we do it for the glory of God. In fact, we do everything for the glory of God, don't we? If you've been to my house, you'll, you'll know that on my main wall in my living room, I have a very large wall stencil that reads, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We do all that we do for the glory of God. And here in our passage today, we're called to live in harmony with one another for the glory of God. And as we live in harmony with one another for the glory of God, our lives begin to commend the gospel. Have you ever thought you know, I, I, what it is to be a compelling community? There's a great book out there by that title, but have you ever thought what it is to be a compelling community that, that people just, there's something about that. Where, where, where somebody might come to church and they, they say, man, these people sure do love Jesus. One of the ways to get there is to live in harmony with one another. And to live in harmony with one another with, with people that you don't have anything else in common other than Jesus. And to say, you know what? Jesus is enough. You know, that person might not vote the same as I. They might have a different skin color. They might have different hobbies. They might have different, different interests. But we have Jesus in common. And Jesus is enough to be in harmony with one another. That, my friends, is a compelling community. That's a community that glorifies God and makes the gospel known. And so let's strive to live in harmony with one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your kindness. Thank you for the people of PHBC and for the, the good work that is being done here. I thank you for each of my brothers and sisters, some of whom I have more in common with than others. And likewise, they could say about me. But Father, I'm grateful for each one that as we live together in harmony, as we welcome one another, Lord, that we become more and more like Jesus. And so thank you, Father, for the privilege of loving one another well. Help us to do that to your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.